Welcome to Challenge Accepted. I'm your host, Stephanie Lucas, a marriage and family therapist by trade and mom to a daughter with hearing loss. I'm creating a space for parents and caregivers of special needs families to find support, validation, and acceptance by sharing stories of a broad range of families with unique challenges. While this isn't therapy and does not replace the advice of a medical provider, we'll dive into the tougher parts of parenting together and join a team of support from others who get it. This next half hour is about you, your experiences, your emotions, and being allowed to take up space as a parent and human being. So hands in, ears on, hearts open team, this is Challenge Accepted. Hey team, today we have an interview with Haley Adkison. Her account on Instagram is one of my favorites, not only because Juniper is adorable and we're both Oregon mamas, but because she writes so clearly and honestly about the emotional experience that she and so many medical parents go through. We explore the idea of hope, diving into a world of medical complexity, and learning how to cope with grief that truly never has an end. Take a listen. Welcome to the podcast, Haley Atkinson. Hello. So tell us a little bit about your story and your experience with Jennifer. Sure. So I guess to give a little bit of context, um, both my husband, Derek, and I were previously married, and we both have sons from the previous marriage. So um, my stepson is 10 and my biological son is six. And um, when Derek and I met um, and decided to get married for us, um, it was, we really wanted one more child. Um, neither of us knew if that was going to be a possibility when we went through our divorce, um, but we had always wanted um, more than one kid. I wanted to be pregnant one more time. Um, and to have a child together was something that was really important to us and go through that experience of pregnancy and childbirth and first steps and um, all the things that are really special to do with a partner. And so soon after we got married, I found out I was pregnant a couple months later. And um, besides horrible, I wouldn't even call it morning sickness, all day sickness, my entire pregnancy, it was relatively uneventful, um, pretty smooth sailing. Um, the delivery was nothing remarkable, um, much easier the second time around. And, um, Juniper, my daughter was born in January of 2020 and was very healthy. Um, a little bit of jaundice, but nothing too exciting, um, passed all of her newborn screenings. Um, no issues. And we were sent home. And for the first six months of her life, that was the impression that we had, that we had this beautiful, healthy daughter to complete our family. Um, And then when she was six months old, we noticed um, the only way I can describe it is odd movements. It looks like um, an exaggerated startle reflex or the Mora reflex that's really normal and good that babies have, but she was six months old. Um, and she also was a reflux baby. So she had really bad reflux. And so it kind of looked like silent reflux that she would have reflux and then swallow it. And her arms would jet out and her head would kind of dip down um, and it would kind of cluster together, especially when we woke up. And we had contacted our pediatrician at the time 
and described what was happening. And our pediatrician said, you know, I don't think it's anything to worry about. It, we were heading into a weekend because all emergencies happen on the weekend. Of course, yeah. And um, our pediatrician said, you know, if she stops breathing or anything like that, I don't think it's a seizure, but if you're worried, bring her to the emergency room. Otherwise, like, get back in touch with me next week. And I had even said, do you want me to send a video? Like, I recorded this. And she said, I'm not worried about it. Um, and I just had this gut feeling like, I don't know, this doesn't seem right. And so we took her to the local emergency room and had her evaluated by three emergency room doctors while she was doing the weird thing. Mm -hmm. And they all agreed, you know, it's something neurological, but it's not an emergency. It's not going to impact her development. At some point, uh, reach out to a neurologist, a pediatric neurologist that can take months to get into. But again, we're not worried about it. Um, and she'll be fine. And they sent us home. And in the meantime, Derek, my husband, started Googling and he came across this video of a child, um, an infant, and he showed it to me and he goes, I still have chills, goes, Haley, this is what she's doing. This is exactly what she's doing. This is what she has. Mm -hmm. And it was something called infantile spasms. And everything we read said, this is an emergency. It's a form of epilepsy, of seizures. You need to go to a hospital. So we pretty much dropped what we were doing that same day um, and packed up our things and headed to the closest children's hospital. And um, the team of doctors there saw her doing the thing. They saw my video that I recorded and they admitted us right away, hooked her up to an EEG um, to measure her brain waves, did an MRI, all of the tests. And within a couple hours of her being hooked up to the EEG, she was diagnosed with infantile spasms, which is a really catastrophic form of childhood epilepsy. Wow. That is like a whirlwind weekend for yes, yeah, six months of normal and then your whole life changed. Yeah. Yeah. We were under the impression we had a, a healthy baby and, um, overnight within a couple hours, our, um, world completely changed. Mm -hmm. What did that do to you? I mean, what was that like to have that kind of drastic shift and, and have doctors who are saying she'll be fine. And then hours later being told life was forever changed. Well, I think for me, it's, uh, been a process. Obviously there's more to her story too, that I can share, but, um, I am not a first time parent. And I think for me, a big hesitation was I, I knew what it was like to be a paranoid first time mom with my son, bringing him in with every sniffle and cold and whatever, and always being wrong, always not wrong, but I was exaggerating most of the time. And I know there's the saying in the pediatric field to doctors of, if you hear hoof prints, think horses, not zebras with the mm -hmm. idea that there's going to be a lot of paranoid parents. And most <laughs> of the time they are just being paranoid. And in this instance, I so desperately wanted to be a paranoid mom mm -hmm. and I knew though in my gut that I wasn't. And on one hand, it was devastating to get this diagnosis. On the other hand, there was this part of me that was going, I wasn't crazy. Um, I knew something was wrong with my kid and I wasn't crazy. Yeah, I think we have that intuitive connection to our kids, mm -hmm. especially moms and daughters. I don't know what it is, but like, you just kind of know when something's off and, mm -hmm and what your kiddo needs. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. So that was, that was the diagnosis, right? Yes. And then life progressed quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about. Sure. So for infantile spasms, um, the frontline go-to treatment is something called ACTH and it's similar to a steroid, but it's not quite a steroid and it's a, at like ridiculously expensive medication. So we're grateful for insurance and you inject it. So in that hospital visit, I was being taught by the nurses how to give injections into the chubby thighs of my six month old baby. Mm-hmm. Remember them bringing a stuffed animal and that was donated and the um, test shots and having me practice with this stuffed animal um, before I gave it to Juniper. And so we were sent home with these steroids like medication and she was miserable. So I've not been on high dose steroids, but I've been told by adults how awful that is. And we were told she's going to act like she wants to crawl out of her skin. And that's exactly what it was like that you have the six month old baby. She was angry. I mean, just raging and uncomfortable and wouldn't sleep. And we are also wrestling with the emotions of this diagnosis and what we are physically having to do to our child. And um, so it's managing those emotions. And then on top of that, she um, was just insatiable. She just wanted to eat and eat and eat. And she started when she was diagnosed in the 30th percentile. And by the end of treatment, she was in the 95th percentile. So she gained five pounds in one month essentially mm-hmm. of this treatment because it's a one month treatment. Mm-hmm. And we were also told um, by the medical team to be really hopeful. Um, and we ha- we love our medical team, um, but they see a lot of kids come in with varying diagnoses um, and various reasons for epilepsy and infantile spasms. And um, epilepsy is always one thing I didn't know before this, that it's um, kind of a, a bucket term to describe it's a symptom of something else. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, you have seizures, you take medication, maybe you can't get your driver's license and you're done. But epilepsy always points, there's a reason for it. So it might be a traumatic brain injury. It might be a genetic mutation. Um, it might be a, a brain malformation that the brain formed differently, um, and so they see a wide range of kids when they come in and they looked at Juniper up until that point, she plateaued now in hindsight a little bit, but she rolled over when she was two months old. Like we, we didn't have concerns with her development and they looked at her and she was social, she was engaging. And they said, we think she's going to be one of those kids that responds to the first treatment. And we, and I, I know they don't say that lightly to parents and So it was very much when we got home, this is awful, but it's just a month. We need to get through this month and then we will be fine. And so when we realized she was failing that first treatment, it brought on this whole other level of emotions of, no, we were told that she was supposed to be fine. She was going to be one of those lucky kids that gets through this with no repercussions. So we um, started another medication and actually gave her seizure freedom for about six weeks. And it was one of those things that just as I started to get hopeful again, that, okay, we beat it, we got this, she relapsed. Mm. So we went back in, we started a medical ketogenic diet. And in the meantime, we decided to reach out and get a second opinion. Um, 
just as a parent doing the due diligence for their child and ended up going down to UCLA um, where they have a whole center for infantile spasms. And uh, it was about this time last year, so November of 2020. And she had a whole surgical workup. They did another MRI, they did a PET scan, more EEGs. And the information was sent to the surgical conference where there's 20 something doctors all deciding, do we do surgery on this baby or not? And the conference was unanimous that they recommended brain surgery for my nine month old baby. And they gave us pretty much two options. The committee was split. Half of them recommended a TPO resection, which is the removal of the temporal, parietal, and occipital lobes. And the other half recommended something called a hemispherectomy. And that is the full disconnect of one of the hemispheres. Mm -hmm. And the hemispherectomy is obviously more extreme, but it also removes the motor strip. So it's essentially like you have a stroke on half of your body. Mm -hmm. But what they suspected was that she had something called focal cortical dysplasia. And that's when her brain was developing, the neurons are supposed to migrate to where they're supposed to go. And hers essentially got clumped on half of her brain. And so we went back and forth, my husband and I have what to do. And we ended up doing the smaller surgery in hopes that we could save her mobility on one side. And we're really encouraged to do it when she's young because of neuroplasticity, that kids' brains are amazing and can rewire. And she would basically learn to function after off of a smaller brain. Mm -hmm. And so we went through with the surgery on November 3rd of 2020. And she went two and a half months seizure free. And then on my birthday, January 18th of 2021, she relapsed. Um, And we went back down to UCLA, did another surgical workup. And she spent her first birthday in the hospital hooked up to an EEG. And because of COVID, only one parent could be in there at that time. So I was by myself with her during that. Um, It was deemed again, well, we recommend the hemispherectomy. We had no hesitations. We said, yep, we knew this was a possibility. And her pathology had confirmed focal cortical dysplasia. We were given about an 80 to 90% chance of seizure freedom with this surgery compared to with medication, a less than 10% chance. And so we said, absolutely. And we were told Juniper is going to be a textbook case that she does this surgery. She has seizure freedom and she'll be, you know, running by the time she's three. And, um, you know, you have the top doctors in the country, if not the world telling you this. And we read the research, we knew how likely it was too. And three weeks later, she relapsed. Um, And since then, we have been struggling to get any sort of seizure freedom. And it's still not known why she's still having seizures. That's a long journey. Yeah. yeah. And you're still in the middle of it too. I mean, I think your story is so touching. She's so beautiful and so joyful and so strong. And she's starting to really look like you. I can see it in your <laughs> pictures online. Um, and I just, I mean, it's such an up and down, right? And I think a lot of parents, when we have that new diagnosis of like, okay, just tell me the answer and we'll fix it and it'll be fine. And you had to hit that roller coaster three and four times Mm -hmm. what was that like in terms of wanting to be hopeful and not wanting to be hopeful probably at the same time yeah I have this love-hate relationship with hope as I think a lot of medical parents do Mm -hmm. that you need it you have to have hope 
but I say it's this little asshole that won't die. (laughs) You know, it's hope has to be there. um, Because what else do we have when it's our kid? At the same time, with hope, it's easy to get crushed over and over again and get devastated. And I think as her journey has gone on, I have become more realistic. I've changed what my hope is. And that's really difficult to accept that it is no longer that Juniper has seizure freedom. I don't think that she will ever have seizure freedom, unfortunately. Now my hope is that she can be happy, um, that she has, you know, good quality of life is really subjective, but that she doesn't have to live in a hospital, that we don't have to over-medicate her, that we can find some sort of balance, um, and that she likes her life. Um, And it's been hard to adjust what I hope for, and in a sense, lower my bar over the course of 15 months Mm -hmm. where at first it was just no more seizures and my kid will have a quote unquote normal, which is kind of a vomit worthy word, but a normal (laughs) life. Um, and now it's a lot more realistic. And I just, I, I, my hope is that Juniper can still experience the world and that people see exactly, exactly Stephanie, what you had mentioned in those photos, like the bright personality that she's not just viewed as this, sad, disabled kid with epilepsy, um, that they see so much more of who she is. Um, and she gets a chance to interact with the world. Mm-hmm. What has it been like for you? And you're telling the story and you've got all the medical language and you've got the statistics and you've got like this whole new brain full of knowledge that you didn't have two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what has it been like for you just in terms of how much your world has changed? I wish I didn't have any of this knowledge. I I say that all the time, that I hate that I know all of this information. Um, It makes me a really great advocate for my child and, you know, a really great resource for this community of other epilepsy parents. Um, But I would take it all back if I could, if I could have a healthy child. Um, At the same time, it makes me I have a lot more confidence when I walk into medical appointments. It's something that I'm proud of in a way. Again, I would get rid of it if I could. A trade-off would be a healthy kid without seizures. Um, But I'm proud that I I have this. I have a lot more confidence advocating for my child. I walk into overnight um, inpatient stays and I'm able to say, I want her meds at this time. I don't want you to wake her up. Well, unless it's an emergency. Um, And I, I feel like I have more respect by the medical team. I think they take us more seriously and I'm able to ask some really important and challenging questions and I think I'm heard. And so while I hate that I know all this information, I also feel like it's a huge asset to my daughter and to my family that we are now very knowledgeable about her condition and um, about disabilities and epilepsy as a whole. What did it feel like for you were things that maybe you had to overcome? Like some parents would be very daunted by all the information or some parents would hit that wall of like, what's the future going to look like and crumble? Like what was your wall for you that felt like too much? I've had a lot of walls. I think, I think 
for me, I am definitely a control freak um, for sure. And I am also someone that pushes. And, you know, when we got our second opinion, I wasn't okay being told we need to wait until she's two. That's because each hospital has their own policy and none, neither is right or wrong or whatever. It's just different. And our hospital's policy was we wait until they're two before we do a surgical workup because their brain is fully developed. And I am sitting there with a nine month old at the time, eight month old daughter where I'm reading this diagnosis saying, if she has uncontrolled seizures, she's not going to develop. And I'm saying, you want me to wait until she's two? I can't do that. I can't do that. And so, um, on one hand, it's been this great gift to say, no, I'm not going to settle for that. We're going to go get second opinions. We're going to push. We're not going to wait for certain things. On the other hand, we've gotten to a point where there's no more pushing to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, we have run up against this wall of essentially without these exact words, being told, this is all we can do, take your kid home and love her. Mm -hmm. And that I think has by far been my biggest wall, my biggest hurdle of as someone, I feel like my, you know, quote unquote, one job as a mom is to take care of your child, is to protect your child. And you receive this catastrophic diagnosis and you, we have done everything. We've done two brain surgeries. We've done six different medications. We've done a diet. We've done holistic treatments. We've done CBD. I mean, we have done so much. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because of my research and my pushing. And now to hit this point where I realize, I don't know that there's that much else we can do mm -hmm. has been extremely difficult for me of running up against this wall of, so I just have to watch my daughter have seizures. Um, that for me has been the absolute hardest piece of when you get to this point where you have to just wait, you have to wait for science to catch up. You have to wait for new research. You have to wait and try new medications that it takes a month or two to see the effects. All you can do is wait um, while your child has seizures. Yeah. And it sounds like that's kind of the place that you're still in, right? Of just that holding pattern and holding on to hope and losing hope and holding on to hope again of being hopeful that science will catch up. Mm -hmm. No, it's absolutely the place that we're in now. And it's, we have a plan. I mean, we have, you know, next steps, but the next steps we know are not likely to cure her. They're just, well, now we'll try this medication. We might try this type of surgery, um, but they don't have great odds. Mm -hmm. You talking about all, having tried all the things really made me think about one of the things I've thought about with our daughter, which is she may never know all of the things we really did for her, mm -hmm. right? All of the, the work and the leaps and, and how that can actually just feel really lonely. Like, mm -hmm. I want you to know I've I tried so hard for you, you know, and all of those things to help you. And, um, you know, they, they'll probably never really fully understand that, um, yeah, you know, and with Juniper, um, you know, her disability, she has her seizures, but then the disabilities are kind of a whole other category for her because she will have permanent cognitive and physical disabilities. We don't know. I always say I'm never going to set limits on what she's going to be able to achieve, but I'm also realistic. Um, my child is not going to live independently. 
And that has come with its own huge bucket of mourning when you've had this little girl that you've always wanted. And um, it's not her dreams, it's mine, (laughs) Um, but that's still mourning. Um, And, you know, when you are making these decisions on behalf of your child, especially when they're so young, it's just going, oh, I hope I made the right decision. Oh, I hope I didn't screw up her life. Um, and that has been really difficult because, especially because she will probably never get to a point cognitively where she can ever understand, maybe even understand her diagnosis. She's never going to be able to tell me you did the right thing, mom. Um, and that's really hard. Yeah. And I think unique to epilepsy and, and part of just that journey that I'm watching on Instagram and that you share with us is that it's a lot of what ifs and maybes, right? When, when you talk about the EEGs and what they look like, I mean, even I don't know quite what that means and I'm sure you don't either. And it's, it's just about, you know, we'll see if she can, she can overcome these obstacles and, and with all of the, the potential outcomes that come with that, I'm sure that's tough. Well, an epilepsy, like a lot of other childhood diseases, you could have a kid with the exact same genetic condition, for example, and one responds great to a medication and the other has horrible side effects and doesn't respond at all. And while what I'm realizing, which is really terrifying, is while we know a lot about the brain, we actually know very little about the brain. And (laughs) while we know a lot about development, we actually know very little about development. And So it is, it's really, um, you know, Juniper, I always say she doesn't follow the rules. And on one hand, that's been awful because she was supposed to be a seizure-free kid after the first treatment and supposed to have seizure freedom after this. Like I basically said, okay, universe, I'll give you half of my daughter's brain and the disabilities that come along with it. Your deal is to give me seizure freedom. And the universe did not uphold its side of the deal when she was a kid where for all intensive purposes, test wise, how she presented everything should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on one hand, she hasn't followed the rules. On the other hand, she also hasn't followed the rules in development. And while she is globally developmentally delayed in all areas, she's nonverbal, she scoots on her butt, but doesn't crawl. Um, so in all those areas, she is delayed. Um, she also is making progress. And that's one of the things that her neurologists are stumped about because she shouldn't be. She has half a brain and still has seizures, um, but she is. And I love that she continues to stump them. And they, to their credit, have said, we're not going to set limits on Juniper because we have no clue. I always say she's probably the most interesting thing that has ever walked into that hospital. <laughs> and you never want your kid to be interesting to a neurologist, but everybody is just kind of stumped both by why she's not responding to treatment, but also that she's managing to develop. Yeah. It's like this, you know, I have that similar control freak of like, why don't you people have the answers? Like yes. you went to how many years of school for this specific part of the body and you don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so infuriating. And at the same time, it feels like you're thrown into this whole new universe of like, well, we could, we can do anything now because mm-hmm. there's no rules. Of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are no limits mm-hmm. because you just have to wait and see what happens. 
Yeah. And the waiting is, yeah, the hardest part, especially for someone who likes control of, so you're telling me I just have to wait and see what happens to my child. Um, and that I, I don't do well with that. (laughs) What would you say to a mom or a parent who's starting a similar journey or who's maybe trying the first treatment you tried and, and where they're at in terms of how to make it and Yeah. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Um, because I think about when Juniper was first diagnosed, what I wanted to hear, and I wanted to hear stories of kids that were fine, um, that they went through this treatment and now they are graduating from high school or in on honor roll or winning their track. Like that's what I wanted to hear. And now I don't, I don't want to hear those stories. And I think those stories are important, but I think it's also important to hear the stories that didn't turn out the way you had hoped because those are a lot more common. And what I value now is even the other moms or parents that are further down this journey that have older kids and they don't say that things get easier. Nobody would ever say that. And they don't say that the grief ever goes away. But when I have moments where I go and I feel completely hopeless of going, I am in so much pain watching my child have seizures every single day. And it's probably not going to stop. How do I, how do I do this for forever? That's terrifying. And what they've told me that I pass along now too is the grief never goes away but you adapt around it and you find a way to still experience some level of joy that is not the same, but it, it's there that we still do things as a family. We still take Juniper places. We still have moments where we are so overjoyed with her and with her family. And I, in the scheme of things, am still relatively new to all of this. So I have a lot, I don't wanna pretend that I have a lot of joyful moments because I have a lot of plenty of dark moments, but you know, telling a family, I will not tell you it gets better. It just gets different and you adapt. And I think the other thing is how important community has been for me the community of epilepsy and medical parents that I've found through social media, through Instagram have been my lifeline that with COVID, obviously there aren't live support groups right now and it's isolating in general, but then additionally, epilepsy is such a spectrum, you know, for me, it's, it's, I don't want to hear the success stories. Um, I want to hear the ones that the kids it it didn't necessarily work out the way we had hoped. And how are you coping with that? And finding community with other parents and moms has been my saving grace. Um, We have text conversations. We have Marco Polo video chats going. When one of us is in the hospital, somebody will send um, food, will send happy mail, will t- send each other kids' birthday gifts, and we've never met in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have people that get it, to me, has been just the most necessary thing because it is incredibly isolating. Even with family, 
who have been around and friends who have been around, they don't quite get it. And they mean well, but to me, it's not the same as having another mom know what it's like to have your child have seizures every single day or to watch as your child's not developing. Yeah, to feel like there's somebody out there who's lived that and who can just hold the space for you. I would think of, you know, somebody else might bring the meal and be like, are you happy now? And you're like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. that's not going to happen. And, and that another mom just gets it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think on top of that, um, recognizing that you, it's your child yes, take medical advice. I am, I am by no means, I joke and say I'm basically a neurologist now, but I'm not. And, um, I finding a team that is supportive has been really important to us too. We feel like we can joke around with her neurologist. Now we feel like he understands my, if he comes back from the weekend and there's 13, my chart messages from me, um, (laughs) and he doesn't sugarcoat things with us. He's honest, but he also has a level of empathy and finding that team of doctors and therapists, um, physical therapists, occupational therapists that work with your family and understand your family and recognizing that you can say, I don't agree with that treatment or explain why you're making this decision or can we try this instead? Um, at the end of the day, it's my child and I will always take medical advice, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, her and mm-hmm. you know, that intuitive, what she needs and, mm-hmm. and what'll best suit her and her spirit, not just yeah. Yeah. the physical part of her brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I know your story is ongoing and there's a lot to it. Um, and I try and keep these short cause I know that parents with kids with disabilities don't have a lot of time. <laughs> so, uh, any final words of, of other parents out there listening or things you want people to know about epilepsy? I know we picked this month because it's epilepsy awareness. Yeah. Okay. So things you want to make sure you share before we wrap up. Yeah, I guess to do my due diligence, I need to plug epilepsy awareness just a little bit. Again, it was something that I had um, no concept of prior to having a child with it. I thought, again, you have seizures like you see on TV. Um, you take medicine and maybe you can't get your driver's license. And in some cases, that is the case. Um, but for most individuals, especially individuals where epilepsy starts in childhood, um, it is a lot more than just seizures. It is um, developmental delays or permanent developmental issues. It's, you know, having to watch your child have seizures every single day and feel completely helpless. Um, And seizures can look very different for everyone. Junipers are just little twitches. Um, Most people don't even notice that she's having them when she has them. Um, And epilepsy is um, one of those horribly underfunded diseases as well, um, because there's such a spectrum of it, but, uh, it is, um, it, yeah, it's, it's very underfunded and under-researched. And so to me thinking that we are in the year 2021 and we still don't, I think it's like 40% of epilepsy cases are refractory to medication, meaning they don't respond to medication. I mean, 40% like blows my mind, um, 
no pun intended. Um, (laughs) And so I I think it's, yeah, uh, just more support and awareness for epilepsy is really important. And um, if you know someone who has a child with epilepsy, the biggest help for me has not been when people say, what can we do to help? Because I usually am going, I don't even know. I, I don't even know. Mm-hmm. It's just the people that like send us food randomly or say, hey, can I um, take your big kids out to the park for a little bit or um, sharing information um, that we share to other people to spread awareness. Um, having a child with a chronic medical condition is absolutely devastating. And um, any support from people outside of this community is always greatly appreciated. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. And we'll plug your page, right? It's Growing Juniper, it's a mm-hmm. underscore in the middle. Yes, um, yes. Typical yeah. Oregonians with our nature names, yes. Right? I, I, I consider that name for our second child. <laughs> I was like, it's such a beautiful name. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a wonderful awareness page and I think you know, you're writing on that page of just about your emotions and your experiences. It's so beautiful. And, you know, sometimes when you have those darker thoughts or those deeper things, like, I don't know if I should be writing this. And I'm always like, yes, you should girl. Yeah. You know, it has been such a cathartic thing for me. I I started it, I think to spread awareness and then things didn't go well with Juniper. And now it's been more of, you know, an outlet for me to write. But the one thing I wasn't expecting was how much it would resonate with um, particularly other medical moms and medical parents. Um, And most likely if you've had a dark thought, other moms have too. Mm -hmm. And that has been really helpful to me of you think these things and you're like, I'm a terrible person. I can't believe I thought this. And somebody else did too. And it's validating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're not alone in the dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure all right well we'll wrap up our time together okay. and say thank you and have a good day yeah thank you bye thank you to Haley and her family for sharing their story with us it was funny for some reason I went into this interview knowing there might be some tears but also not wanting to force it Juniper's story is not all sunshine and rainbows the outlook is not bright and shiny And the strength and resilience that she and her mama display time and again is like this beam of light that you can't help but be attracted to. I know sometimes as medical parents, we want to say, I'm not strong. I had no other choice. But the choice time and again to put one foot in front of the other is strength. It is a choice. The choice to allow hope to have a home or create a new path in your heart after crushing disappointment, is brave. Their story reminds us that even if you are crushed by the weight of disappointment or unknowns, the pieces can still be made into something beautiful. Be sure to go and read some of her writing on her Instagram page, growing underscore juniper. There is also a fundraiser for an intensive treatment that Junie will be attending in the summer, and it only has a few days left, so head over and contribute and get your awesome t-shirt out. Thanks so much for being on the team. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope it was inspiring and encouraging for you in your journey. If you enjoyed it, I love it if you could share it with your friend, subscribe for future content, and leave us a five-star review. 
This will help us grow our reach so others can join our community of support. If you would like to share your unique story with the Challenge Accepted community, feel free to reach out to me on social media, Stephanie Lucas MFT, on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for being a part of our team. 